you could kind of recharacterize the, the modern culture as one in which you don't own your time. You, you kind of, you, you sell it for a, for a possible future. And the, one of the beauties of having an uncertain future, while it might be really scary and unnerving for people when they think about inflation or economic crises or fuel poverty or time retirement pensions or whatever, just vanishing into thin air, it kind of squeezes you into the present moment. How do you end up building a straw bale house and now living your life in France? So let's wind back the story and say, can you tell me a little bit about how you met and your background and ended up there? So um, we met a little while ago now. I think we were 24 when we met at a hip hop dance class, like everybody. And uh, we ended up uh, getting together and, and both of us were doing graduate schemes um, I just finished mine with local government and Dan, you were doing one with uh, Enterprise, right? Yeah. And then you went on to do your master's. I was doing a master's part-time and then we both were like a bit disillusioned, to be honest, with uh, kind of the trajectory that life was taking us on. Um, and we decided to go and teach in China for a year. So we, we learned to, to teach there and had an amazing time. It was really eye-opening to go to Asia and especially China at that moment, because it was really developing on the upshot and culturally it was amazing. Um, and we kind of got exposed to different ways of life, which really impacted us both. Um, so long story short, we started to look for land um, and we were looking in the UK. Now, I was looking even before we got together, wasn't mm. I? Um, it was very difficult to find buildable land in the UK that was not extortionately expensive um, and by extortionately expensive I mean you need to get a mortgage just to get the land um, and I kept thinking there's got to be another way around this uh, I, I remember I actually did get um, a mortgage at one point I didn't accept it but it was offered to me it was before the economic crash uh, so this is a long while ago and they offered me a 110% mortgage uh, for a little flat in Basildon uh, studio flat and I saw it and I was like this is not worth 110,000 pounds <laughs> I remember that's what I was thinking and um, I was like it's bricks and mortar and I know that that's not what that costs <laughs> and so literally from that one spark I was like right I'm going to build my own home and uh, it's not going to cost this amount of money um, but Britain wasn't it wasn't really doable for us. Uh, all our family are in the southeast and, and London. Yeah. Um, it's just I mean, not possible. At that point, when we went to China, we had absolutely no idea about ecological building or anything that was off grid, not a clue. We hadn't ever been introduced to any of those ideas. And so going to China and teaching abroad, and then we did some seasonal work, that was more about just giving us breathing space mm. so that we didn't have to commit financially to anything, so that when we did come across something that resonated, we were able to put it into action. And mm. um, without that breathing space, it would have been really difficult. And I think that's where a lot of people find themselves, is making financial commitments before they've worked out what they really want. Yes. And by the time they've figured it out, they feel kind of constrained. And um, so, yeah, that I guess our first five years of our relationship could be characterised as travelling around, having great experiences, but breathing space, not making any big commitments. Yeah. yeah. And we both felt we were sort of naturally averse to that. Yeah. We, yeah. Any big commitment, anything like a mortgage or a financing of a car, or anything like that, it just yeah. didn't, it didn't occur to us. 
we wanted to stay sort of tireless um, and actually looking back that has allowed us some space when it's come to what we've, we've actually ended up with <laughs> yeah yeah now so when you sort of finished um, your master's and then you went traveling so you were already on this trajectory but you were not you you know you knew it wasn't for you and you wanted that breathing space to figure out what was for you what what was like the reactions of your family and and your friends back in the UK when you said I'm going to China and 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 that was it for a while? Yeah, really supportive. Like both of my parents uh, are, were retired at that time already, so they had a very different view on life. They'd been mm. foster parents. Uh, they'd both had previous marriages. So I guess when you hit retirement, maybe you suddenly realise what was it all worth. <laughs> and then so yeah. when, when you've got a, a son who's saying I'm going to go off and do this that and the other that's not conventional they're like go for it yeah so really really positive but I guess when you're at that age like mid-20s with a few degrees in your pocket and there's like this mad scramble for getting your foot in the door in various industries and it's quite unnerving to step out of that you feel massive FOMO and you're like oh god is this the right choice and I remember when we were doing seasonal work in the Dolomites a few years later Mm -hmm. after China and I was like complaining that I had a master's degree and I was scrubbing toilets and flea almost slapped me around the face and said look at that mountain I mean look where you are is that really what you're complaining about right now and kind of really stuck with me that because I I was just projecting what I thought a graduate should be doing rather than what I was actually doing at that moment uh, but yeah it's a bit of an unnerving moment when you decide yeah I don't, so it never was for me for me I, I was like <laughs> I, I, I was not, I was 100% certain. I, I had very good time uh, on the graduate scheme at Basildon and then I worked at Treasury and then I worked for GP Sec and I really enjoyed it. Like I, I did enjoy it. I got joy from it. I learned a lot. But I, I see my life almost in like chunks uh, and that chunk was done. Yeah. And the next chunk was. I'm going to go teach abroad and then after that I'm going to do ski season and then actually I seem to have continued that (laughs) all the way through so far. You mentioned like the support you get or don't get Mm. to and it's like I think I think quite often when you're in that age group like mid-20s maybe even like early 30s whatever and you and you you ask for advice you're really looking for an affirmation of something you've decided to do and quite often if it's something that's out of the conventional you won't get that affirmation you won't get that support because generally people will only give you positive feedback about something that you're doing which somehow justifies what they're doing or that validates what they've chosen in life so if you ask advice to someone who's had a 30-year career doing a job they don't like and you say I'm going to throw a caution to the wind and travel to China or buy a field or live in a caravan you're unlikely to get the positives you're unlikely to get the support you want so you've got to be really careful to do actually don't take that personally when but you, you, you've got to understand where they're coming from and you won't you, you're not necessarily going to get the support that you're after and that has a knock-on effect because um yeah there will be not necessarily naysayers but an, a negative vibe <coughs> that you might get and you need to be strong in your conviction at that point yeah. um that you're happy with what you're doing um and actually Often, when you've done it, um, people that were the, the naysayer, let's call them, are like, oh, that was good. Really, really excellent. I'm pleased you did that. But it's it's more of a retrospective kudos, yeah. as it were. But I do think, I, I totally get what you're saying there, Dan. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to really go for it, and then they, you end up with 
a lack of support yeah. from your peers or family, mm. you have to be ready for it because it's their perspective. Yeah, yeah. They're seeing it from their mm. perspective. So. Interestingly, we went, we went on a three-day straw bale building course. I'm sure we'll talk about it again later, but it, it was the it was great to learn some of the technical skills but the best thing we got out of it was all of the people there that were all like yes you can yes you can and so we suddenly realized that wow actually yeah, anything is possible if you and it was great to have that support group even for those few days i love that like i you do have to sort of surround yourself with people that are going to give you a little bit of positivity and we did that like a bit later but but our whole building process and i'm sure we'll come on to it we we had people helping us from all over the world and, and they were in it they wanted it to succeed and that vibe really is in the house actually what what i wanted the energy of the house to be like um but if we'd surrounded ourselves with a load of people that like no 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 no," which had happened we'd had a couple of people like come onto the land that we were potentially gonna have uh do some work for us we never used anyone in the end really um but i just said to them no wrong energy it's a no and um yeah for me, that's so important, not just in a house build, but any anything you're doing, you need to surround yourself with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's quite threatening when it's quite threatening for people when you present them with an alternative idea because you're forcing them to confront the decisions they've made. Yeah. In order to give you support, they've got to basically criticise what they've been doing for 20 or 30 years, potentially. Yeah. I've had that with some friends, some friends yeah. that I've been with like in my earlier career, and I've told them what I'm doing just in an excited way and I have realised I need to rein it in sometimes because it, it it's not something they feel like they can jump into and like you say they're confronted with their choices and perhaps they're not as happy with yeah. them mm-hmm. so I, I sometimes do hold back if I'm honest uh, yeah. I do you've got to read the crowd you got to read, read the room yeah. <laughs> read, read the, the room, room. Read the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean just to pick up on that you too have influenced our lives so much because I always you know it was kind of what you talked about earlier on that whole just getting a bigger mortgage and getting um you know just get going on this this journey of doing what everybody else is doing I've got a degree so now I must get into this job into this industry and be and be successful here and tick this box and then you know you really questioned our perspectives and I, I really thank you for that because it really made us think actually are we happy and and we talk about it all the time um mm-hmm. how can we change this how can we do this a different way how can we make more time here and 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 starting to value the things that matter the things that like you say you know when we look back on life that you know it's those moments that we'll remember it's those seasons um and the choices that we're making and all we were doing is is just working and paying bills and going through the motions and not really being conscious of those decisions. So, you know, I, for one, am incredibly grateful for having met you. Um, I feel that we've probably been more minimalist and more essentialist since, but in a good way, because we were, we were like, you know, hoarders of stuff. And I, and I feel a lot, a lot cleaner for that. But maybe, maybe now's a really good time to talk about the move to France and the build and what your, what your idea was behind that and, and, what you've what you've achieved so so let's talk about that come on Dan go for it yeah well so well I'll, I'll start at the end point then so we've built a we've built a two-bedroom straw bale single-story house which is almost entirely off-grid apart from an internet connection and the straw bale makes the house very well insulated 
um, it requires absolutely minimal running costs. So we have solar power, we have um, some, some batteries that store the energy we need. As a result of the solar power, it's a very minimalist house with very few appliances, so it's very, very quiet. Uh, there's no need to replace things that are breaking all the time. And um, yeah, it's provided us with a very, very comfortable existence, which is definitely a long way from a conventional house. I mean, in terms of in terms of bills, it's absolutely nothing. In terms of energy consumption, it's very got a very, very small footprint, which is something we really wanted. I mean, effectively, we wanted to create a house which was very, which we had to kind of coexist with in a way, mm-hmm. like rather than just occupy. And so the house has grown organically around us over the last five years and the result is something that's uh, quite bespoke for us it's isn't pretty it? bespoke <laughs> um, i've got a handbook if you come to stay <laughs> people can go through the handbook of how to work the house yeah and we, we were sort of driven towards that material as a, as a result of its ease of use for for amateurs um the fantastic insula- insulating properties that it has which means i mean especially at this particular time with fuel poverty going through the roof you know, it seems really relevant when, you know, when you talk about straw bale and you joke about not having a bill, well, that's not a joke anymore. I mean, we literally yeah. will never get a heating bill. And you're like, oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's the potential of this kind of approach is that you can almost completely free yourself from spiralling energy prices. Um, so for that, I think that's, that's one really, really key message there is if you kind of apply some very simple design principles and have, have some faith, you can create something that's really, really different. And robust yeah. as well. Um, and you touched on something really nice there, um, that the house grew orga- organically, um, and it, it literally did <laughs> grow out the ground, but not only in terms of the house structure, but the systems inside. We started from scratch and that was actually a real benefit in the end. Mm. Now, it might have seemed like a bit of a, not hardship, but inconvenience to start with. Um, But actually Mm. starting with nothing allowed us to create systems that we could build on and then really evaluate what we needed. If, If we couldn't power it, we had to really question, do we need this? If we do, then we have to change our energy system to power it. And the same with water consumption. Um, It it was a case of when we built our own water tanks, we looked at what we had been using literally to the litre per week, doubled it for some luxury, (laughs) and then then made sure that we were never going to have like a bath or um, a dishwasher, things that take, or, or a flushing toilet. Now, they might seem inconvenient to some, but actually, what you touched on there, Dan, about yeah. saying it's a really noticeable switch from people joking with us, oh, you don't get a bill, ha ha, that's funny, to literally in the last couple of months, that's not funny anymore because people are, literally people are really struggling to get yeah. their homes and pay their energy bills. Yeah. And now, and actually, it's had an impact on us, hasn't it? I think in the last couple of yeah, months, I've cool. had many messages from friends saying, my parents can't afford their bills. How do you get on solar like you are? Um, my parents can't pay their water. How do we capture more water? That hadn't happened until recently. So mm. it seems almost like what was a novelty before mm. is becoming more and more relevant as climate change happens, as the economy changes. Mm. So mm. it's a real shift, actually. Yeah. You mentioned the caravan. So we lived in a caravan for two years. So this was a, a tiny, four meter long, two meter wide donated <laughs> caravan that someone was going <laughs> to scrap. And you know what? When you when you've lived in a caravan for two years, and at the end of that, those two years. You're still in love. You're still healthy. You're still happy. You're still strong. 
it really forces you to question what you're going to be putting into your new house and what the point of it is if you're already you know, actually I could live in this and I'd be all right. You know people, what I mean? We were happy in there, honestly. It, but I, so I loved it. <laughs> we really um, influenced the build, didn't it? In terms of the Absolutely. size, the complexity. Yeah. We really, How much we needed in terms of energy. And yeah. it's just another good example of like when, when you know, suffering in, in the short term, what it might seem like suffering ends up being a huge boon to the project because it forces you to really critically examine your needs. And then as a result of that, we've kind of made every decision about the house, whether it's the water harvesting from the roof, the minimal solar system, the wood burning stove in the middle of the house, the whatever it might be, the dry toilet, for example. You know, individually, each of those things might seem curious and novel, but the net result of all of those things is a life which is very comfortable with minimal outgoings, with a house that kind of um kind of feels secure. Yeah, and it's in harmony with uh with the natural world to an extent. Like our house ebbs and flows with the seasons, as do our energy levels. You know, in the winter we might not have enough power to watch Netflix, so we'll read books and play the ukulele in the evening. And then, um, yeah, after a long period of uh, dry weather, we celebrate the rain. If it's been cold and we haven't had any hot water, when the sun comes out and the hot water tank heats up, we just, you know, we're dancing around at these really simple things that bring us real joy. And that's... A massive connection, right? Yeah. Connection to the weather. Yeah. At first, it was just really great if it was sunny for solar, but now it's great if it's raining for the, for the yeah. water tanks. And you find joy in those things. Um, What's really interesting is that as soon as I step back into a regular house or a modern house, mm. I notice my behaviour changes back immediately. Mm. And I, I keep trying to put my finger on why that happens. Is it conditioning? Is it because it's comfortable? Is it because that's the way it is? I'm not sure. But I know that when I go back to my house and I just slip back into the rhythm of the house, that's a really good way of describing it. It's, mm. There's a rhythm to it. Mm. It needs living in. And it needs you to participate in it. Um, but what you get back from it is enormous. Yeah. It's like its own living living being. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess that's something that's hard to impress upon anyone with a conventional house is that you know, imagine never receiving an electricity bill in your life. Imagine never receiving a heating bill. Imagine never receiving a water bill. I mean, I think you know, that those things have real tangible impacts on the freedom you have to choose what you do as a career, how much you earn, where you live, and that like that's a real tangible thing. And we're not engineers. I studied politics, Lee studied European studies and marketing. We are not engineers, you know. We we did this with a bit of a bit of willingness, a few mistakes. And a lot of Google. <laughs> a lot of Google, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was gonna ask, was there any of those elements that you embarked on you thought, I can't do this? I and had that self-doubt or that that's a really interesting question because it's a Jekyll and Hyde for us. So for me, no. For you, I'm, yeah, yes. your your conviction is bulletproof. Yeah, you know, I just yeah. really believe anyone can learn anything, and I have that that's ironclad for me. Mm. And actually, I myself love learning, and I love the challenge of something new, and I learn by doing. So for me, it was ideal. I mean, I would love to build a house for the first time again and again. Yeah. But I think for you it was a bit of a different relationship with it. Yeah, it kind of forced me to confront a lot of anxiety, depression. Um and that's I mean that in turn has steered me towards kind of Buddhism, meditation, those kind of ideas as a way of grounding myself. But yeah, the house really forced me to it forces you to confront a lot of insecurities when you're faced with a project that daunting. Um, and but in terms of a partnership, oh yeah, I mean I can't imagine doing it 
without two people who are fully on board. I mean, I was fully on board, but you had to keep prodding me because of my self-doubt, not my scepticism about the project as a whole, yeah. but just lack of self-belief, to be honest, Sue, was, was the issue for me. But, you know, once you've overcome a series of those doubts, you end up feeling a bit stronger as a result. And you, yeah. Your difference now is enormous. Like It has, the house project itself has massively empowered you mm. and your man's mental health has really drastically improved. Yeah. And actually the space of it as well, that was what was very empowering about it was that it was it was ours and very few people had input on it in terms of like professional builders or, um, you know. Uh, Dave on the roof. Dave on the roof. For a couple of days. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he actually managed to help us get the tiles on properly. That was mint. Um, but it, it meant that those decisions were ours to make and our problems to rectify as it went along and I mean we joked about it but most jobs got done six times mm. and you ended up realizing this was the learning curve this is the process mm. and that's part of the delight of doing it so, yeah. Yeah. so I read your article about the 90% rule and I think we've kind of touched on this a lot when you've been talking about the house Dan can you talk yeah. us through the 90% rule because it's so interesting oh uh, yeah very scientific the 90% rule <laughs> But when applied vigorously, uh, rigorously, sorry, not vigorously, <laughs> or both, when applied rigorously, it has a huge impact. So the 90% will go something like this. It's like if, you, if you're willing to have a system which provides 90% of your needs and you're willing to compromise or um, find a way around the extra 10%, then you're going to end up with a system that's exponentially simpler than a system that provides 100% of your needs. So I think the hot water is the best example in our house. So we um, let's apply the 90% rule. If you want to have 100% hot water under pressure on tap all the time, 365 days a year. We all know what that means. It means a complicated gas boiler, which is going to break down, end up in a landfill. It's going to cost a lot of money to run. You don't know how to fix it. Fuel prices are obviously going to go up. Bloody, bloody, blah. But with uh, the 90% rule, suddenly things change and simpler systems become um, viable. So we have a solar tube system. So it's a, an insulated tank which sits on top of 20 glass tubes and uh, the water is heated passively by the sun. So this, this um, contraption, whatever you want to call it, this uh, device doesn't have any moving parts. Um, it's, like, it's like a guarantee for 25 years and it costs about 450 quid. And it provides us with hot water under pressure 90% of the time. So it might be that for 10% of the time, so maybe four or five times a year, we end up boiling a kettle and having a bucket shower. Now, some people might say, I can't do that. I can't be doing with that. But let's, if you really critically examine that assumption, really, can you really not do without that? Can you really not do without 10% of your showers or doing a few bucket showers a year? Is that going to affect your well-being? Because having endless bills will definitely affect your well-being at some point so this yeah this system it, it, it does that job it provides us with nearly all of our needs we compromise with the extra 10 percent, and we end up with a system that's incredibly simple and easy to fix and if you keep applying that to different parts of your life you end up with um yeah what some people might call compromise or sacrifice but i don't see it like that at all for me it's just um you know intelligent design yeah, yeah, it's much more sustainable. I mean, you know, we keep talking about the environment and wanting to move away from greenhouse gases and things, but there's very few people actually doing anything about about it in isolation. People are looking to big governments and big organisations to make the changes, and yes, they need to as well. But yeah. it sounds like you've managed to tap into everything you can, yeah. just in your in your own, you know, in your micro world, if you like, yeah. to make a difference. 
So well, yeah, this is idea that you have to sacrifice everything in order to be green, and that's just not true. That's just not true. You have to find a compromise and a balance with a certain proportion of what you consider normal, but the payoff is enormous in terms of freedom. I mean, it's, it's often the the rhetoric when some we say to someone that there is definite possibility to be more sustainable, not a hundred percent. I mean, that's really difficult. No one's a purist, mm. um, but people that the default responsive is I can't live in a cave. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, that's going back to like five percent. That's the five percent rule. <laughs> <laughs> we live in the ninety percent rule. So yeah. you know, you might not be able to run your dishwasher. You might have to do the washing up, but you can find joy in. For me, you can find joy in all these tasks. Um, it might be that you have to participate in your waste. But you know what? I produced it, so it's my responsibility. Mm. And then you can turn that into something beautiful and good for the soil. And interestingly, mm. we, we um, both studied permaculture as a philosophy and a, a study um, pro- when we moved on the land to begin with. And we did a permaculture design certificate. And permaculture tells you to always design this web of security. So where you want something, uh, you need something, let's say Maslow's hierarchy at the bottom, shelter, water, food, heat, um, make sure you're getting it from several areas and it's not all just dependent on one supply chain as well. I mean, that's the same in business, isn't it? You can't, as we've seen from the pandemic, supply chains just gone because it was too weak. There were too many weak links. So um, the house does allow us that and through the design, we can add through the 90% rule as well. We can really create that web of security. Permaculture also gave us this idea that there's a lot of work up front. And if you're willing to put that work in up front, you reap the benefits later. Um, so permaculture allows you to work in tune with nature using natural systems like the sun, mm. which is everywhere, and like the rain, which hopefully isn't generally everywhere. Um, and so by using those and working in harmony with those, um, it might take some time to set it up. Like our water tank, yeah. yes, we built the water tank, but we had to have a roof to begin with <laughs> to, to channel the water into mm-hmm. the into the part into the tank. So and yeah, there's a there's a back. That's a good example because uh, joining the water, it's a phone call for most people. Yes, phone call. But it's the- and it's done. You make a phone call, and in your mind, you think, oh, "I made a phone call, and now I've got water." Brilliant. Like sure, that, initially that seems like the the, the, the smart choice. But it might not necessarily be in the long run because you, you get locked into, you yes. know, into contracts and bills, et cetera, et cetera. The net result of which is basically the inability to change your life. If you suddenly decide you've got a different value set or a different goal in mind and you find, you know, a million tires stopping you from doing it. And then, you know, you know how easy it is to talk yourself out of doing something. It's so easy. And if you've got if you've got bulletproof excuses like, well, the bills have got to be paid, well, that's gonna. That's gonna. Um, that's gonna pour cold water all over any project very quickly. So, you know. it's not impossible though. It just means that there's more to extricate yourself from. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's uh, true. And um, I think that is a really important point for anyone thinking of becoming more sustainable. Is uh, do be very kind to yourself <laughs> because it's not. A lot of people, I think, when they talk about going green or being sustainable. They see it in a zero-sum game. You either are or you're not. Mm. And it's not at all the truth. You, it's small incremental changes and some things you can't change. Like I said, you can't being mm. a purist, no one really can be a purist. Mm. So we can just do the best we can. And if that means that over the course of 10 years, you make 40% change, that's marvellous. Yeah. Like that's a celebration. 
it's not, oh, I've still got 60% to go. That's not something to focus on. So yeah. I, I really fell into that trap at the beginning of this project. You know, before we even started the house, I was trying to be plastic free and everything else. And it, it's setting yourself up to fail. Um, whereas I think what's crucial if you want to make a change is to set yourself up mm. to win. Um, I think an important point, like the point we're at now, as a civilization is after thousands of generations or thousands of years you know it's it's unrealistic to think you can undo it in one lifetime but if you can change the trajectory slightly by introducing a different set of priorities or, or beliefs and, and applying them then that's that's a great that's a great step that's a great impact that's yeah enough. that's enough that's yeah. enough yeah. you know that's yeah enough. yeah no, yeah that's a really great piece of advice set yourself up to yeah to win at it rather than fail yeah well, celebrate the little wins it sounds like you have this real appreciation as well for the seasons and for you know the weather you talked about the weather and it's kind of that appreciation for just the basic things or the things that are happening in in the world and versus you know taking everything for granted and not really not really appreciating um I'd really like to know what daily life looks like for you so um Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have this idyllic lifestyle and I just I'd kind of like to to know after everything, you know, you, you've sound like you've come out of it really strong, really resilient. You've learned a lot from it, but you feel more empowered as a result and you want to empower others to do similar things. But I guess what it'd be really co- cool to understand is what is what is your lifestyle like now? What is the day of Dan and Flea? What do you do? Yeah. And where are the inconveniences? Because there are some. Yeah. Um, so we are a slave to caffeine so we get up and we make coffee <laughs> and that's always our for French <laughs> yeah we're super French these days um and we we work online so um we teach online and that's four days a week we are teaching so we get up have our coffee have our chat about I don't know some sort of deep meaningful philosophy and then dive into teaching we don't do like conversations in the no world, we don't do like conversations it's in true um and to give you an idea what that means is our lap we need laptops and we need internet connection to teach that sounds quite simple but from time to time it isn't simple on a solar system uh the main time that it isn't simple is around the time of the winter solstice obviously there's less daylight so making sure that our battery packs have enough energy yeah that requires some forethought the night before we have to have a hard word with ourselves and think, are we going to watch a film tonight? No, we are. <laughs> teaching in the morning. <laughs> so there are those. Yeah. You have to think about it. That's what I mean when I say you have to engage with the house. It's not just flick on the light switch and forget about it. Mm. Although I have to say our LED lights are remarkably good, so you can generally ten, <laughs> light whenever you want. Ten months of the year we don't have to think about we it. We never have to think mm. about it. And for several months of the year, we have way too much power. We actually turn it off. Um, mm. So that is a nice seasonal, it's a seasonal impact on our daily life. Um, then when we're teaching also, I haven't got it with me, uh, our entire house is wired in 12 volts. So it's not regular plugs. It's like car sockets, uh, cigarette lighter sockets or USB. So a lot of our appliances, we have to check every single one to make sure it will function on 12 volts. And often they don't. So that answers the question. We're not buying that blender. Mm. <laughs> that blender's not entering our lives. Um, but it does mean you look for alternatives. And often the alternative is, is a much, much better um, a better choice. But the, um, that requires time. You know, you need time to research. Time people don't always have. 
And from time to time, I get a bit annoyed at looking at the screen. Mm. And, and every single choice I make, because I'm very conscious of it, I'm like, I'm going through this list of things in my head. Where's it made? What's it made of? How was it created? How long will it last? How much does it cost? <laughs> and what is it? There's too many. And it, it, that, that is a bit of an inconvenience at times for me. I'm constantly researching what we need in our lives. But I, ha- I have to say, we've reached a very good equilibrium and we're not really buying at all for the house now. And wherever we can, we buy secondhand um, for absolutely everything. So that, that helps. But even secondhand, I still go through the same process. So after teaching, we um, we then are normally doing our sports, whatever that is, yoga, climbing, something. And then obviously you want to shower, don't you? After I would say generally so like... That ends up being there. Go on, sorry. So after, after the shower, as Dan said, that could be an inconvenience if you, again, at the solstice time when you don't have much light or UV, mm. you might not have hot water and you have to manage the hot water tank um there's a knack to getting the level right to get the opposite like perfect amount of hot water yeah so you do engage with it it's not mindless um it's a mindful house that's a really good way to put it yeah. um yeah, yeah. but it means yeah. that yeah for me the benefits i guess that's the 10 percent, isn't it that's the 10 percent. you have to be mindful and you can still pretty much get everything mm-hmm. you need from it yeah mm-hmm. so it's it's not um and, and the house, as you as you know, so compared to the caravan, the house is a luxury. Um, the cat moved into the house first. <laughs> he was like really ready to go. Um, but the caravan was, it had all the same systems. We just made them bigger for the house. Um, however, it's not as comfortable an environment to be in in terms of humidity. Mm. Um, so that was a, a different thing. But also we have a wood burning stove for heating in the house and uh, it's also our oven. We cook on that. We heat water on it. We're always thinking about how can we maximise this energy usage um, fully because for me, the fire is still my weakness. Um, I still feel a little bit a small sense of failure when I'm burning wood because uh, it's burning and it's still wood. But we planted trees to coppice ourselves to fill that wood burner and they're growing and they should be ready soon for yeah. us to be burning our own trees that we plant or down planted. So hopefully I'll feel less guilty. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Can I chime in on the daily, Go for it. The daily line? I mean, I guess compared to a conventional like, couple working full time, my mm. life might strike people as quite peaceful and very quiet like there's lots of moments for peace and emptiness and spaciousness in our life like in the mornings in the afternoons in the evenings um every day involves cooking food from scratch making time for that um because it's something i love and both enjoy and there's time for it it's, i notice a lot like when something that's normally considered an inconvenience suddenly becomes a pleasure when you've got time to do it yeah. You know, so yeah, every evening involves a lot of cooking from scratch. It involves a fire in the in the evenings in the winter. It's gorgeous. Lots of yoga. You're a yoga teacher, so we do a lot of yoga together as well. And then, yeah, an occasional empty of the compost toilet once a week, which again might sound like something a bit gross, but I love it because I'm participating in a natural cycle. You know, I'm enriching the soil upon which I depend, and for that, that's an incredibly rewarding thing to do. Once you change that, you know, that perspective. Um, yeah, yes. And I guess in general, our house is just very 
calm, peaceful. There's not too many beeping appliances. There's no TV as the focal point. It's just, it's kind of a bit unnerving for some people when they come in, especially friends from London with really hectic yeah. lives or whatever. They're like, they really notice it. Whoa, They're like, you guys weird. are vibing on some other level. I'm like, yeah, you are too. <laughs> so it's just a, a meeting of the two, two different yeah. places of life. Um, a lot of space and a lot of peace as, a, as two sort of themes. There's a lot of space and a lot of peace in our lives. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I get it, Dan. It sounds idyllic. Peace, time, the one thing that most of us don't have here. So yeah. many of us, in, particularly in the UK, that are on a, corp- a corporate career ladder or the, you know, the traditional tra- career trajectory, are aiming for a deferred life. So we're going to save for a pension and at, one, at some point in the future, we might get to retire and enjoy that pension or whatever. And that will be the time that we go travel if we're well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps and and some people are perhaps looking for that and some people are are saying do you know what I don't want to do that Mm. many of us are saying you know the pandemic the great resignation um lots of people are really questioning this and saying what about mini retirements what about having the time and enjoying it now in the present and I want to know do you feel that you do that do you get the opportunity to have these mini retirements yeah um short answer yes um and i think actually those mini retirements it's a really nice way of putting it was part of a huge motivation for what we've done and how we've done it um we were as we mentioned working in china and then we did ski seasons and then we went back worked in south korea and then spain and italy and it those were mini retirements each one um but all throughout doing that we felt like we wanted a base as you can imagine, when you do seasonal work, there's a downtime and you end up living on sofas and parents and, you know, you're in your 30s. You're like, ah, I don't want this. <laughs> um, so we both were quite settled that we wanted to make a base. Um, but we wanted to make sure that base was not restricting us and allowed us to continue to do the mini retirements. And yes, there's been a period of like five years where we've got the house to completion. Um, I have to say that that felt like a mini retirement in itself because I loved the building Mm -hmm. process so much and we had a lot of helping hands, volunteers. Each time we had volunteers, uh, it felt like a little, I don't know, like a little mini season. It was like that and and, uh, it was great. And now because we're mortgage-free and bill-free and our our work's online, that's why we can do this podcast with you from Spain. We've just taken... We've just come in with the cat and we're working two weeks, but we can also be here. Um, we did the same last year. We were in the Pyrenees for a month. Um, so, yeah, we can now have that freedom to fill our life with these little chunks of things we want to do. Um, we're both hoping to do some voluntary work. Um, we want to help with reforesting, rewilding projects, uh, water building, yeah. uh, water tank building. Um, and also we have little mini projects ourselves that we have time for, like um, the water tanks were really interesting thing in Europe despite the fact they're pretty common in other parts of the world so we've written a little guidebook about it and that if we didn't have the time for that yeah. it, it wouldn't would never have um, materialized so yeah I think we, we do that but it's interesting it hit us from a young age both of us we were like we want to do these retirements now and that was bred from both of us sort of economically think that by the time we we're 85 we're going to be living in a vastly different world. Um, yeah. And so I'm not going to wait. <laughs> also, my health, maybe I could do ski seasons age 85. <laughs> it's quite unlikely, although I've met some 85-year-olds. And there's got to be this question for me. We work and work and work to build our cake. And at what point are you going to eat it? 
Like, when are you going to say, I've got my cake now and I'm going to eat it? Uh, and that's about an equilibrium, a balance. When have you got enough? What's yeah. enough for yes. you? And when are you going to be like, I've got it now. Great. Now I'm going to do everything I really want to do. And adding on to that, like maybe a redefinition of what a cake is, because yeah. surely the only thing meaningful we have to spend is time and health and mm-hmm. energy. And, Absolutely. And like, the thing is, like, you could you could kind of recharacterize the the modern culture as one in which you don't own your time. You you kind of you you sell it for a for a possible future. Yeah. And the one of the beauties of having an uncertain future, while it might be really scary and unnerving for people when they think about inflation or economic crises or fuel poverty or time retirement pensions or whatever just vanishing into thin air, it kind of squeezes you into the present moment because that dependable future that you are betting on that you are selling your time for it no longer seems likely so you then think well how can i own my time and that's kind of what it boils down to really is like owning your time because most people don't own their time they they they, they work 35 hours a week to service a debt for example which means they basically sold x amount of hours per week for x amount of years and then that's fine when everything's hunky-dory but when you decide you want to change something that becomes a huge obstacle so for me like i you know, I, every morning we wake up and like we work because we choose to, not because we have to. And so it's not even necessarily the job. I could probably do the same job and hate it in a different context. But because we choose to do it every day, it, it yeah, feels really it. empowering. <laughs> you know? It's like, this is great. I, I want to do this. I don't have to. That's a big, yeah, that's a big motivating factor when it comes to retirement. It's like, yeah, I want to own my you can't own your time in the future. It's simply not possible because it never actually comes. <laughs> but ironically, even though this is very strongly both of our beliefs, uh, I'm still conditioned and raised in the UK and I still pay my UK national insurance for my pension. Yeah. <laughs> so I voluntarily pay that. And that gives me some coverage. Uh, I feel that, okay, I am pushing towards something. Yeah, it's not reckless, <laughs> is it? It's not reckless. It's not a reckless idea. No. I think we both just genuinely think the world will be in a very different shape by the time I'm uh, octogenarian. So yeah. why live for then? Yeah. Get now. You've only got now. Especially if it's a project have. like building a straw bale house. Do I want to do that in my 70s? <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> Oh, I do. I'm still going to be doing it. <laughs> doing it in my 30s is hard enough. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know that all this time and all this experience has given you other opportunities. So you've got the blog where you talk all about your permaculture and you share your experiences, but you've also written a book. You've had a book published, which not many people find the time to do. So tell us about that. <laughs> A new little book. It's about the it's about water tanks, uh, the various and water tanks that we uh, built for our water supply. Um, they are quite popular in other continents, um, like in Africa and Asia, Southeast Asia in particular. They're very common um, because they're cheap materials, but they're high labour. Mm. Uh, so in Europe, it's the exact opposite, as you know. Um, anything that's uh, involves a lot of labour is very expensive, so we don't do it. Um, yeah. And that's why we chose ferrocement tanks because we could do it ourselves. It's very easy for a layperson. Um, and so we've written a little guidebook about how to build your own, um, mm. which could be great as we move further and further into drought and uh, unstable weather patterns and rain. It's also a good example of the more work up front. Yeah, yeah, you put a lot of work up front and then you never have to touch it. Yeah. It just does it. It just works. And yeah. that's nice. You can paint it if you want. 
Yeah. Nice graffiti artist to do it. That's what I want. If anyone wants to do that for my tank, I'd be happy. <laughs> um, but the book, the book was, um, we were going to self-publish it, but actually we contacted uh, Permaculture uh, International, which have a publication house called Permanent Publications, and they said, we don't have anything about water, which I was stopped by because, they, uh, and they're like, please, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to publish yeah. it. So, That's yeah, it's all been illustrated as well by one of our worker wares, um, Barry, uh, he, he came to us from Belgium, helped us build one of the tanks. Very serendipitous that he's an illustrator. <laughs> and uh, we were like, would you like to illustrate the book? And he said, yeah. So it's got a very nice common theme of whiskey our cat. He is helping everyone throughout the guidebook how to build the, yeah. the different elements. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a nice, nice thing to do, and we both really enjoyed writing it. I think. But yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not War and Peace. <laughs> it's mini, um, but yeah, we we hope it can help others if they want to to build a water tank as well. Yeah, definitely. It's so nice to be water independent, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And like the cost of the tanks was less than the cost of joining the maze. You know, forget bills. Considerably less. <laughs> it was less than the cost of joining. And you've got a water supply for life, which is really robust and clean. And oh, it's just amazing. It's just one other example of like the, the thinking that's gone into the house that's yeah. led to the net result. But yeah, hopefully by putting it in a book form, we can empower others mm. to do the same. That was an interesting yeah. thing. Last, I think it was last summer or perhaps even actually the summer before now, because the last two years really have merged into one, um, the taps in the cruise, which is the department next to us, ran dry. Uh, they were chucking in water for the villages because it was such a heavy drought. And um, everyone's talking about it, but we're not, <laughs> we're not really listening to the French TV or anything. And our neighbour said, have you seen that we might have our taps turned off? I was like, nope. And... <laughs> It made me think, okay, that's not something I need to think about. Mm. Same neighbour, about three months later in the autumn, huge storm came in off the Atlantic, and he said to us the next day, he's like, your house was the only house in the village with the lights on. Everyone <laughs> else got a power cut. I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a power cut. It's like my son nearly came over to watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> it does really show your personal autonomy, but also yeah. when you've been taken out, yeah. You are slightly stepped out of it a little bit. Um, yeah, that touches on another important theme, I think, which we haven't mentioned, which is resilience. Um, when, you've, when you've got a bit of financial independence, when your systems don't depend on things that you can't control the price of or things that you can't fix, it just gives you a lot of resilience. You know, you're not, you're not one bill away from losing something that's important to you. You're not, um, you know, one faulty thing away from that's out of your control for losing your water supply or losing your electricity supply so that i think in the face of like especially climate change which is a thing that's a massive thing that's driven our projects in the face of that resilience is critical um and, and that doesn't mean being a prepper it's not about that you know <laughs> it's not about being independent it's about being dependent on the right things like the rain falling the sun shining the compost worms doing their thing you know those are the things I want to be dependent on because those are truly dependable and timeless and resilient. Mm. You know, I don't want to be dependent on this illusion of endless ability of fossil fuels because yeah. we know in our hearts that fast forward 200 years, that won't be the case. And so that, lead, that begs the question, what follows and how am I going to be a part of that in my little way? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean building a straw bale house. That theme could manifest in a thousand different forms, but 
am I interested in what follows? You know, you know, what what lives are my kids, grandkids, great grandkids going to be leading, and can I introduce elements of that now, sooner rather than later? And that, that's that's a critical thing, isn't it? And there is that old proverb that you don't plant a tree for yourself, you plant it for the next generation. Yeah, we need to apply that to our actions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as spreading seeds. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like this. It's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So I'm going to do some quick fire round questions for you. Um, I'm going to ask both of you to answer the questions and then we'll, we'll move on to what's happening next for Dan and Philippe because we want to talk about that. Oh, so it's not like yeah. a test of how well do you know your partner. Oh, I thought it was going to Oh, no, only yourself. I'm not <laughs> <running. laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to ask you both what your favourite song is. So, Dan, do you want to go first on this one? Oh, um... Temper Trap. Uh, um, what was the name of it? Sweet Disposition. Sweet Disposition, that's it. Temper Trap, oh. Sweet Disposition. That's just about the hardest question ever. Oh, I like so many. <laughs> Absolute favourite. It's going to be a Led Zeppelin track and it's probably going to be When the Levy Breaks. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> something different in that song. Right. One thing you couldn't live without, Flea. My cat. And Dan. I did say thing, so you could you can get away with uh, that thing. thing. Uh, what? I don't know. What thing do I? Oh, I got an easy. Oh, one. my yoga mat. Okay, well, my then, favorite then. sharp knife in the kitchen with a bamboo handle. <laughs> with a bamboo handle. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Sharp knife. Yeah. <laughs> the book on your bedstand or on your uh, Kindle or whatever you use at the right now. Uh, mine is uh, a book written by Tichnat Han, uh, a Buddhist monk who recently passed away, sadly, and it's called Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet. Uh-huh. It's a good book. He's an amazing author, Tichnat Han. He's amazing. And mine is The Invention of Nature, the Lost Hero of Science, Alexander von Humboldt, and it's written by Andrea Wolf. Very interesting books on your bedstands. <laughs> and one thing you're learning right now to you this time, Flea, first. Uh, I'm doing an advanced course in yoga, but I did recently just start relearning Chinese on Duolingo. I'm always learning yoga because my wife's a yoga teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and this one, this one's going to be tricky. This one's tricky for most people. Three words, well, actually, no, you might have this nailed. Three (laughs) words to describe what fulfillment means to you. Dan, go on, you go first. Okay, uh, peace connection and resilience definitely thank you it's going to be peace balance and connection mm. thank you thank you both it's been incredibly interesting i'd just like to finish up with what are you what are, you, what are your plans next in for the next few years for the next 12 months for the next five years what, what's the plan what are we going to see more of so uh, yeah i'm a big believer in in, in letting go of any outcomes or expectations and just constantly grounding myself in the present moment through meditation through reading through learning 
and then seeing what outcomes manifest from that. So yeah, zero other than continue to live in that way in every possible moment, wherever possible. Yeah. I don't really know that I can talk that. <laughs> I don't know if I want to follow. <laughs> Anything I said, it was having you're so gold orientated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Because um, yeah, I have this constant debate about can you be happy in the present but still be striving for something? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah I you can be. Yeah. I just get lost in the striving, so I'd rather not do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a constant question I have for myself too. So I'm always doing that. I'm like, I need to live in the present moment. All these amazing monks tell me I should be. And I feel like I am most of the time, but then I'm like, well, I need to have ambition. Yeah. <laughs> and I am you want to do stuff and I don't want to waste my time so yeah. there's a balance though as with everything and um, as you just said sometimes you're caught up in the striving so well, that's where it's gone a bit imbalanced and you're pulling to expand to that maybe like just to, like it doesn't mean not having plans but it means just acknowledging that those future plans will have to interact with the dynamic present moment that's going to come in the future and they as a result they're you know they're likely to change I mean that's the reality of a plan right it's not something that a plan is based on your projections in one particular moment and if it doesn't interact with the future you know the present moment in the future when it's manifesting then you, you're just going to stick rigidly to it and create a disaster <laughs> <laughs> but really yeah. flexibility is the key <laughs> adaptability flexibility resilience yeah all this. yeah all these nice words spreading we're spreading trying to share with other people what we're doing is a big goal definitely we want to keep trying to share and inspire like find people who are thinking about it and just give them a push yeah oh very <laughs> that's quite an aggressive yeah. push um but, if the uh, present moment demands it <laughs> um, also we're both very into yoga and meditation and we're hoping to um hold some retreats what shape that takes is still sort of in the balance at the moment but we're hoping to do that um, and I also really want to do some volunteering. I have a couple of other little mini retirement dreams. <laughs> I want to go uh, and go to an ashram in India, and I'd like to go to uh, um, called the Kabini Reserve. This is very specific, but it's a tiger reserve that I want to go and try to train with a photographer there. So it's a little bit. that's cool. But we're both going to go to Plum Village, which is a, a Zen Buddhist center in near Bordeaux, or it's near Bergerac actually and do some mindfulness retreats like actually participate so that's upcoming as well yeah um, yeah lots of little things on the go oh and we're, we're starting group two but it's not about water this time this is looking at uh our sort of approach. most of the stuff we talked about most of the stuff we just spoke about <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay so this is the prequel to the book this is like everybody's um yeah preview <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Feeling very exclusive now. <laughs> You'll have to let us know when you organise your retreats and when the book's coming out because it'd be really great to share these along with the podcast. How can people get in touch with you and stay in touch and learn more? Uh, the main place will be our blog, uh, which is difficultly <laughs> in French, livingyourbass.org. Um, we can be contacted there, but I also have an Instagram account which it's not only life in france it's also photography but um we can be contacted there and you can find the blog and my handle is kung fu flea so we can do that or people can just find us yeah yeah, yeah. i'll pop it in the show notes 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast show and sharing all of your story with us. It's been fab catching up with you guys. Thank you so much. That was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah. Congratulations for showing up and being one of the 8% that actually turn their dreams into reality. I appreciate you for listening and I am committed to helping you improve the quality of your life. For more resources, make sure you check out the show notes underneath. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review. And remember, you are incredible. And if you dream it, you can achieve it.